Welcome to week 10 of our series, All the Feels. This also happens to be our final installment as the time has come for us to move on. Herein, we have explored a lot of emotions that are complex, a lot of emotions that are heavy, a lot of emotions that are difficult. How how do I handle this? What do I do with that? And I hope these conversations have been helpful to you. I hope they have led you toward a place that is healthier than where you were when we first started this conversation. But bringing this to a close, I want to land with a feel that can be challenging for a different reason. This is something that God desires for us. He wants us to have this emotion, and yet it can often prove elusive. Oftentimes, it seems like it's just out of reach, like like we can't quite get there. It escapes us. In our time together, I want us to catch up and catch some feelings. Today, we're talking about joy. We're talking about joy. And as we will see, joy has a tendency to live in some unlikely places, some places that we might not expect to find it. And I encourage you to open a Bible or a Bible app Meet me in the book of Philippians. Philippians, it's located in the New Testament, which is part two of the scriptures. Now we call Philippians a book. More accurately, it is a letter. It's written by a pastor named Paul. It is addressed to a a church, a faith community in a city called Philippi. And this letter is punctuated, it's punctuated by the topic of Joy. By my count, reading through the book this week, some form of the words joy or rejoice shows up a total of 11 times in the span of four chapters. Joy, rejoice. Joy joy is the current, if you will. It's the current that carries this message along. It's what what propels it forward. So using this correspondence as a guide, The aim for us today is to formulate a recipe for rejoicing. How do we do this? What does it look like? We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but let's begin in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, there is so much for us in that one or two statements there. Starting with an observation. Joy is important. Joy is important. It matters deeply. How do we know that? Because Paul makes a big deal of it. Note the repetition for emphasis here. If you didn't catch it, I said it once. If you didn't catch it the first time, I'll say it again for the people in the back. Listen, church, joy is not just a nicety. Joy is not just a feel-good sentiment. This is essential for our spiritual health. If we're followers of Jesus, if we're following him well, we should be joyful people. This is an indicator of a healthy soul. When you go to see a doctor for a checkup, what happens first? 
Well, you got to fill out a bunch of paperwork, right? And then you got to sit in the waiting room for a while. But, but after that, you go back and they take your vitals. Check your temperature. Check your, your heart rate. Check your respiration. Check your blood pressure. We might think of joy like that. If joy is lacking... If, if your joy is too low, that's an indication that something is amiss. So, something needs some work. There's, there's an issue that needs attention. But in order to assess that, we need an accurate picture of what joy is. And as I understand it, joy is this. It is a steady satisfaction of the soul. Joy is a steady satisfaction of the soul. This is not a short-lived temporary happiness, something that just comes and goes. One minute I'm joyful, one minute I'm not. This is a persistent condition of gladness that is deep, that is unshakable. Which brings us back to the question at hand, how do we get it? I've got seven ingredients for you. I came ready to preach. I hope you came ready to receive. Seven ingredients. Here's the first. Be intentional. Be intentional. To rejoice is a choice. I know that sounds cliche. But did you note the phrasing here? Paul just says it. Rejoice. That is an imperative. What what that means linguistically is this is a command. This is an instruction. Do this. Embrace this, enact this, take this step. Y'all, joy doesn't just happen. If I could just speak from my own experience, I have spent far too many moments in my life waiting for joy to come. Y'all gonna spend a lot of time waiting. Joy doesn't just happen, it has to be cultivated. It has to be grown. This, this is an attitude that we must consciously adopt. It's a function of the will. Do this. Here and now, I am, I am choosing this. And listen, this is a choice we have to make every day, church. Sometimes this is a choice you've got to make every moment. I'm going to choose it right now. Now, I want to be clear on something. Okay, because I think we can get, get a little bit confused a little bit muddy on this. This is not the same thing as faking happy. Right? Just, just, just wearing your best manufactured smile. Y'all got a church face? You have a church face? <laughs> Act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Pretend everything's perfect. How you doing? Never better. Never better. And I'm dying inside, but I'm never better. That's that's not what we're after here, church. This is not faking happy. We need to know that joy is not an exclusive emotion. What does that mean? That means it's not going to be the only thing you feel in a given moment. I hope that by now in this series you see that, that sometimes things are messy. Sometimes things are complex. Some, sometimes you're going to have conflicting emotions. You're going to feel two different things at a given moment pulling you in different directions. Hopefully you recognize that. 
Listen, in the space of this letter alone, sometimes I think we do this to Bible characters, right? We read about their lives. We read the stuff that they write. It's like, man, they had it all together. I can't live up to that. Do you know in the space of this letter alone, just this one, Paul opens up about his own feelings of sorrow and sadness and anxiety. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes you're going to feel those things. That doesn't mean that you can't have joy. Listen, joy is not so fragile that it cannot coexist with hardship. It's not so fragile. It's not an exclusive emotion. It's an enduring emotion, meaning that joy does not require the absence of adversity. Joy can transcend our troubles, church. But we have to be intentional about it. So let's ask the question, are you choosing it? Today, here, now, are you choosing to rejoice? Here's, here's another ingredient for us. Be resilient. Be resilient. We're told to rejoice how often? Always. And the, the literal sense of that word is every win. If it's a win, you're supposed to rejoice then. Every instant, at all times. Right now, now I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to be the one who says what everybody else is thinking. Really, Paul? Really? You want me to rejoice always? Every moment when I'm stressed? When I'm struggling? When, when I'm sick? When I'm strapped? When I'm sorrowful? When my relationships are strained? You want me to rejoice there? How can you say that, Paul? You don't know my life. You don't know what I'm walking through. Rejoice always. That, that sounds like idealistic ivory tower talk. It's easy for you to write that when you're sitting in your cushy pastor's office, Paul, sitting at your nice executive desk. Rejoice always. Pious platitudes that are out of touch with reality. Except here's the thing, church. That's not at all the case. Do you know where Paul is when he's writing this? He's in jail. Paul so devoted himself to taking the good news about Jesus to the world that he was willing to preach even if it meant going to jail. And he did. Multiple times, by the way. As he puts pen to paper, as he writes these words, he is a prisoner. This guy is no stranger to hardship. This is, this is somebody who, who wrestles with the thoughts, wrestles with the emotions that, that would try to choke out joy. And, and given his current situation, would, would we really blame him if he's not all that joyful? I, I wouldn't. I, I did the right thing, and look where that got me. Look where that landed me. No good deed goes unpunished. Why try? And yet here he is, going harder than ever. Rejoice. Always. 
See, that's an expression of his own commitment. This this is a reflection of his own resilience. I'm not stopping. I'm not slowing down. Even jail will not derail me. I want to show you this. Chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, he writes these words, and and maybe they're familiar words to you. But, But stay with me. It's a little bit lengthy here, but stay with me. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's good news. But it has a certain lyrical quality to it, doesn't it? It's, it, it's kind of rhythmic, reflective, emotive, expressive, like poetry. And that's for good reason, because scholars identify this as a hymn. It's believed that this was a, was a hymn that was sung in the early Christian community. So as Paul is writing this letter, f- follow this. He's chained up. He's under guard. And he's bursting out into song. My life is a musical. <laughs> and it ain't the Folsom Prison Blues either. This, this is praise. That hits different, doesn't it? He's, he's praising. And listen, this isn't the only place in Scripture where we find this happening, where we find God's people praising in prison, in, in Acts chapter 16, I believe. Paul and his pal, pal Silas are doing the same thing. After they got beaten, they're thrown into jail. Like, yeah, what are we going to do? We're going to be here for a while. I know. Let's sing. It, it seems that this is a habit of Paul's. And we sing that song, I'll praise you anywhere. He did it. This, this is a habit of Paul's. Is it our habit, church? God, I, I, can, I can praise you when I'm in the church. I can praise you when I'm in community. I'm, I can praise you when, when I see thing, good things that are happening all around me. But you know what? I can, I can praise when life is hard, too. I can praise when, when I get the, the answer that I didn't want. I can, I can praise when I'm in the middle of a struggle, are, are we resilient, church? We need to be resilient. Back to chapter four, Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now that, that Greek word that's translated in is a big one. It's a big one. It speaks of a relation of rest. A relation of rest. Chains cannot change this fact that even in jail, I am in Christ. 
That's who I am. Nothing you can do to me will change that fact. That's our next ingredient, church. Joy is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. It's not found in a person, in a, in a place. It's found in a person. This is the secret. Sometimes we ask, what, what's the secret to this or that in life? What's the secret to joy? This is it. It's not a place. It's a person. How can our joy be constant and unwavering when life is so variable? Do, do you all feel this? Life is just fluctuating. It's just up and down. I'm good today. I'm good this moment. And then the next, it bottoms out. And I don't know what happened from, from there to here. Life is variable. It, it wavers. Jesus is constant. Circumstances change, but, but he doesn't. Even in the trouble, even in the debt, even in the sickness, even in the broken relationships, this remains that by faith we are in Jesus, church. That's who we are. Reminds me of something else Paul says in another one of his letters. Romans 8, this, this verse was shared once again by a friend with me this week. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor chains, nor hospital rooms, nor lost jobs, nor prodigal children, nor disappointment, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, church, nothing can separate us Every when, everywhere, we are in Jesus. All right, let's keep going. I got to keep moving because I got four more ingredients for you. A few verses later, Paul writes this, verse 8 of chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Things. Here's the takeaway. Curate what you contemplate. Curate what you contemplate. Joy is a matter of focus. It is absolutely a matter of focus. Now, again, this is not denial. Okay, I, I don't want any of you leaving today thinking that, that we're just oblivious of what's happening, that we just bury our heads in the sand. We just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. That's, that's, that's not what's going on here. It's not escapism. Paul is honest about where he is. He's honest about what he's dealing with. In fact, elsewhere in this letter, he addresses some issues that are going on in the Philippian church and, and, and that require course correcting. We need to make some changes here. But the problems, just like the prison, are not the point. Okay, that's, that's not where he's setting his sights. That's not what is getting all of his energy, all of his passion. The truth is this. Before joy is felt, joy is thought. I'm not saying you'll never have moments of spontaneous joy. Obviously. 
But so often in the day-to-day, before you feel joy, it starts with what's going on in your mind. What's, what's going on there? So permit me to ask this question, what's occupying your thoughts, friend? Connect those two dots. If, if, if there's a lack of joy in your life, what are you thinking about? What's getting your attention? All right, a few remaining ingredients here. We're going to finish out in chapter 1, where Paul has more to say about joy. Starting in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. That's really good news, isn't it? God finishes what he starts. Verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I got a lot of time on my hands, and I got a captive audience. Why, why not tell them about Jesus? It's actually served to advance the gospel. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. To experience joy, you need to expand your view. You need to expand your view. Try this on Versailles. Too often, perspective is confined to your present condition. That's all I see. That's all that I'm thinking about. That's all that I'm focusing on is is this right now, right here, whatever it may be. The moment decides the mood. And in this case, the view is four walls, chains, and guards. It's a dead end. It's bleak. It's depressing. So, therefore, by that logic, Paul's mood should be bleak and depressed, right? Wrong. Joy. Paul doesn't get stuck there. He refuses to be contained. My spirit will not be locked up. You cannot change that down. You cannot chain that down. He's looking at so much more than his location. He's got a kingdom vision. God is working. God hasn't stopped working. They tried to shut the gospel down. Look how that turned out. It backfired. Here I am in prison, and the guards are hearing about it, and now the church is talking about it even more than they were when we started. Not only that, but but he makes the most of this. He works with what he's got. Paul Paul has a a deep and profound love for the churches that he planted and pastored. And we see that in his letters. But right now, he can't get to them. I can't come and, and be with you in person. So I'll write you a letter. It may not be what I desire, but 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 it's something. Listen, isn't it tempting for us to condition our joy on where we wish we were instead of where we are? Do you ever do that? I'd be joyful if that. I'd be joyful if I was there. Paul says, why wait? 
There's no better time than right now. I'm going to live fully in this moment. Consider that in this letter, in this letter, we read powerful truths like God finishes what he starts in us. We read powerful truths that we can do all things through the one who strengthens us. And we have this letter precisely because Paul was put in prison. Those gems are coming out of jail, y'all. They're coming out of jail. If he wasn't locked up, we might not have this letter. There wouldn't be a need for a letter because he could say all of these things in person. There would be no record about it. We would never know about it. And yet here we are, all these centuries later, transformed by these truths. So so, so follow this. Contrary to the way that it seemed, Paul had an even greater reach in jail than when he was free. He had an even greater reach inside of a prison cell than out of it. And if I can challenge your perspective today, friend, might it be that the prison can be a platform? Might that hardship, that difficulty in your life, the thing that you wish wasn't true, that I was somewhere else and I didn't have to deal with this, might that thing be the platform that amplifies the gospel to the world through your voice? Might that be? Expand your view, friend. Don't give up. Don't quit. You have no idea. No idea how God might be using the thing that you're going through right now. Along with that, joy is found in others. Notice that Paul has joy because of what is happening in the Philippian faith community. This is so contrary to the current of culture, isn't it? This this is the direct opposite. I find joy in me. What's happening to me? If life is good for me, then I'll be joyful. Do you know that almost every time in this letter when joy is mentioned, it's because of what's happening in somebody else's life? Paul's celebrating what's happening in the Corinthian church. Man, I'm here in prison, but life is good for you. Look at what what God is doing in your community. He celebrates that. That's a template, church. If we want joy, we have to expand our view to include other people. It's not me, it's we. It's not singular, it's plural. We discover this in the connection of community. All right, one more ingredient for us here. A little further down in chapter 1, verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Heaven waits for me, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Here's the takeaway, church. Joy is an eternal perspective. Joy is an eternal perspective. It's not just right now. It's not just right here. Look at this. Paul doesn't know how this is going to end. I mean, I've got, I've got my preferences. I, I have a suspicion maybe how this is going to turn out. I think I know what God's doing, but, but am I going to be acquitted and released? Am I, am I going to be convicted and rot in prison? Maybe be executed? I don't know. He isn't certain. He doesn't know how it will end. But this, he does know. This isn't the end. This isn't the end of the story. There's more. He's confident that live or die, glory awaits. I wonder, church, what if we had that same confidence? Live or die, glory awaits. So he can write this. He can even sing about joy because he knows the hope that, it, that is his. It cannot be taken from me, no matter what you do to me. Church, if we are to live with joy, we need to know what awaits us. We, we have to know. We have to be certain. We cannot lose sight of the promises of the hope of heaven. That's not to say that it isn't hard sometimes. God knows it is. This, this isn't to make light of, of, of what you carry, of what you walk through, of what you face on a daily basis. It's not dismissive. It's not minimizing the weight. But listen to me, as bad as it might presently feel, there is a goodness of far greater magnitude awaiting you that you can't even possibly imagine. You don't even have a category for it. Because you've never experienced anything like it. What in the moment feels so heavy, looking back from the perspective of glory will seem light. What right now feels unending, is this ever going to end? It will seem like it lasted only a moment. By faith in Jesus, this is our assurance, church. In the end, all will be well. Not maybe. I, I need you to hear me on this. It's not maybe it will be well. It will be well if your faith is in Jesus. It will be well. Now, we took all of that a little bit out of order, but I think we can rearrange here. There it is, a recipe to rejoice. So, church, rejoice. Rejoice. In the Lord, always.